Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Tell the person next to you, you look good today. Come on, tell them you look good. You can be seated. Well, we're in a series uh, in the book of Acts called Power for Today. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But I love to look in the camera at the back of the room and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond. Love what God's doing in the city there. An incredible day with the women yesterday. And love what God's doing in the city. And then, of course, to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. You're not a, a project to us. You're our people. Virginia Department of Corrections. We're just so honored to have you here. Come on, Midlothian. Let's welcome everybody here today. Thank you. Thank you for being here and uh, love what God's doing in the life of our church. And the next few weeks, we have some strategic things. Uh, this Wednesday night, we're going to have a sermon that's going to be different than we've ever done on first Wednesday. I'm tempted to tell you about it, but I would rather surprise you. I'm just telling you, it's like a can't miss uh, kind of first Wednesday. We can't wait for that. And then next Sunday, uh, you know, we don't have uh, too many guest speakers on the weekend, but um, we have an incredible leader, Choco de Jesus, who's one of the great leaders in the country. And uh, he's going to be with us preaching all day in all of our services, largest Latino church in U.S. history and uh, now serves pastors across the country. And uh, you're going to, you can, you can look at him online. He was on Time Magazine's literally a few years Years ago, 100, one of the 100 most influential people in America, and uh, hand of God on his life, shaping our nation. Can't wait for him to just bring God's word. I'm telling you, it's going to be fiery and good and amazing. You don't want to miss that next weekend. And then we have Freedom Group Conference coming up and Mother's Day. We have so many exciting things happening in the life of our church. And uh, David already said it, but I just want to pause and say thank you for your incredible generosity and faithfulness. I mean, just to see a full room on a rainy day and and, uh, and we're coming here to meet God, and, and I'm thankful for you. Love you. Thankful for God for you. I wonder if I could just pray today before we uh, dive into the message. If you're comfortable, would you just put your hand on your heart today? And Something about preparing our heart to receive God's word, isn't there? So God, today we've come from all kinds of different weeks. Um, some of us in victory, some of us in challenge. But God, we take every thought captive. We, we, we focus our attention on you today. And so I pray, oh God, that you come into this room and you'd open your word to us, God. We've come not to hear the words of a human, but the word of God. God, we know the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God, we know your word is a double-edged sword, God. We know that it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And so God, today we are wide open for you to talk to us from your word, for you to speak to us. God, we're hungry to hear from you. Like Ezekiel the prophet said, I ate your word and it was like honey to me, oh God. Let your word be sweet in our mouths. Let it nourish our souls, oh God. Every need in this room, every need in Scott's edition, every need online, God, we believe your abundant supply through your word can speak to us. And so today, oh God, would you stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my lips what you would have for us to know, say, and do, for we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together a big amen. amen. Well, we're in a series in the New Testament book of Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And right after the first four of the gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that tell the story of Jesus, 
The book of Acts is the fifth book and it tells the continued story of Jesus, not through his life, but through the life of his people. And the book of Acts is an incredible guide for us and we're reminding ourselves that it offers us power for today. And really the theme verse in the book of Acts is chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus tells his disciples right before he leaves that um, he's gonna give them power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's what he's telling them, that the message of Jesus, when declared in the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to be powerful enough to change their city and eventually their world. And and he uses that phrase, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, as like you would throw a pebble in a in a pond and the and the ripple goes out. He's saying that's what's gonna happen, the gospel. How many of the gospel's not meant to just be contained in one place? It's meant to expand, right? And so they're ready for that. And and when the church begins to do that, they're processing that. And that's where we are today because it started primarily the early church as a Jewish church. And and now the Gentiles, which are non-Jews, begin to accept the gospel. And the church has to figure out how they're going to work through this. And the church begins to expand actually through persecution, through Stephen and the believers are scattered. But it really begins to grow in a city called Antioch. And in fact, Antioch will become really the missionary sending city in Acts 13 set apart from you, Barnabas, and so that'll change the whole world. And But the early church is trying to handle uh, changes. What does it mean that, that Jerusalem isn't the center anymore and the, the gospel's expanding and they're in a, a season of crisis and challenge and God raises up a man named Barnabas. Come on, somebody say Barnabas, come on. And he ends up to be an instrument of encouragement that's used to establish the church. And I want to talk to you today about encouragement because it, we oftentimes talk about Paul as a church planner, Peter and James, John, but I don't think we realize how huge Barnabas is. He's, the, he's like a glue person. He keeps everyone. Have you ever had a glue person in your life? They, they keep everyone together. They, they smooth out the ripples. They create encouragement and strength. That was Barnabas. And he, he kept the community together. He kept the encouragement together. And because of it, the gospel really expanded. And I want to talk to you about that, being an encourager today and being somebody who, um, who uh, helps the gospel expand. I was reading a story years ago of the governor of uh, Massachusetts who was in campaign mode and he, he went to a church barbecue after a full day of campaigning and he was going through the line and he said to the lady who was scooping out the food, he said, uh, can I have a second piece of chicken? And she said, I'm sorry, sir, we, we're only giving each customer one piece of chicken. And he said, ma'am, I'm not sure you know who I am. Um, I'm the governor of this state. And, and she said, I'm not sure you know who I am. I'm the lady who scoops out chicken and you're getting one, you're getting one piece of chicken. So keep going, mister, you know. Has anybody noticed that we live in a world with combative words right now? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed we live in a polarized world? <laughs> I mean, I can change the message and make the case, but I feel like we could just accept that, right? Like, like how many know you can't say anything today without somebody being mad, you know what I mean? And there's opposition and fighting and anger and vitriol on every side. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And, 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 and that's just part of our culture right now. And, and Barnabas steps into a situation like that where the early church is, um, is trying to figure out what they do. They're frustrated with the church in Antioch. And Barnabas goes to play peacemaker between the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. And I want you to see how rather than escalating a situation, he brings peace to a situation, okay? And here's what it says, Acts chapter 11. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
And when he saw what the grace of God had done, he was, I love this. Come on, somebody. He was, he was glad. How many know he wasn't sad? He wasn't mad. I'm thinking of another word. I can't think of it. Uh, he was glad. You know, he, he knew there were problems, but he was glad. And he what? He encouraged them. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's amazing to me that when, Anti- uh, when Barnabas goes to Antioch where the trouble is, and he sees what God's doing in the lives of people. He has an encouraging heart. He sees some good. In fact, that's really what the Bible says. When he got there, he arrived and he saw what God's grace was doing. How many know, even in the middle of the mess and the conflict between the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church, Barnabas saw some, some good things there. And, and I, I think what he did is he spoke encouragement and strength over what he saw. Just write this down. We need to learn to speak encouragement. We need to learn to say what we see in other people, to be encouraging people, right? Like to be a house of encouragement. In fact, I think it's one of the strengths of our church. We have an encouraging church, a life-giving church. People will say, We're, I'm new to the church. There's just joy here and friendliness and 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 Barnabas was that kind of guy he went to Antioch and yes there were problems there and conflict between the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church but rather than pointing out the problems he pointed out the potential rather than pointing out the guilt he pointed out the grace rather than pointing out the issues he pointed out what God was doing I think this is true in life oftentimes in life you'll find what you're looking for how many know in life, if you look for problems, you will find them? How many know in life, if you look for things to be encouraged about, you'll find them, right? And, and I think this is a decision we have to make that I'm going to choose to focus on the grace of God and what he's doing in a situation. Now, let's just take a little personality profile here in Midlothian and in Richmond. Where are the people? I'm this kind of person. I tend to see what's wrong first and want to fix it. That's my natural inclination, okay, is to see what's wrong and say, how could we improve that and not to see, where are the other people with me? Come on, just raise your hand. Anybody else with me? Okay, so this is going to be hard for us, okay? Because we're the people, in fact, I used to early on pastoring right after an event, I would huddle the whole team up and I would say, all right, three things we should do better next time. And everyone, everyone's like, this is great. And then, you know, here I come, Debbie Downer, like, there's three problems we need to fix. And everyone's like, we work really hard. And I was like, well, you know, I was that guy. You know what I mean? And so this is going to require effort from a lot of us to choose to see what we want to see. And Barnabas could have seen all the fractures in Antioch and Jerusalem, but he chose instead to see the grace of God at work in their lives. And he spoke encouragement over them. And I think this is something we need to be as people, people that see the the grace of God at work in people's lives and speak grace and encouragement and hope and not just correction and improvement and, uh, you know, all those kind of things. We need to be people that speak grace and hope, right? People that speak encouragement over one another. And that's what Barnabas was. In fact, they sent him to be a peacemaker, to be an encourager, to be one of the ones who lifted up other people. And the Bible actually says when he got there, he has the spirit about him that he was glad and he was encouraging. In fact, uh, Barnabas, literally his name means son of encouragement. (laughs) When they were thinking of giving him a name, they were like, that's a man who's just an encourager. I'm going to put that label on him, son of encouragement, like he just, he just had that spirit about him. He carried that spirit about them. I think we should as well, we should determine in our life to be encouragers. 
We should make that settled decision. I am going to choose in my life to be an encourager. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to choose it. I'm going to choose it in a world where this isn't hip or cool or, or it's out of date and everybody wants to find all the... Pro- I'm going to choose to be an encouraging person. How many think we don't have enough encouragers in the world? I just, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced there are a lot of correctors and there are a lot of deflectors and there are a lot of downers and there are a lot of challengers and a lot of angry. And, and I think God's looking for people who, who want to be encouraging. And you say, well, pastor, how do I have that Barnabas spirit and encourager? How do I use my words and determine to be encourager? Well, the Bible gives us a few ways that we can use our words to encourage other people. Well, the first thing Proverbs says is that we can use our words to nourish other people. In fact, Proverbs says, the lips of the righteous, look at this, nourish many. This is a question to ask ourselves today. If the people around me, if their souls were dependent upon my words to nourish them, are my words the kind of words that feed encouragement into them? In fact, uh, a first century Jewish sage used to describe words this way. He said, words are like um, an instrument that, that, um, that is one end, on one end it's a spoon, and on the other end it's a knife. And he said, you and I choose how to use our words, either as a spoon to scoop nourishment to other people, or you could flip that same instrument around as a knife to wound other people. And that reminds me what Proverbs 18, 21 says, right? The life and death are in the power of the tongue. How many know our words can either lift people up or knock people down, right? They can either feed spiritual nourishment to other people, or we can flip that instrument around on the other side and, and literally it, like a knife cut to the heart with them. Our words, but our words should nourish others. What What a challenging statement. Are the words I'm passing out nourishing other people? Are they strengthening other people? Or man, am I just doing that? Now here's a really hard one, okay? Can I give you a really hard one? Okay. Can I? Hello? Okay, you here? Okay, great. Uh, I think sometimes the Bible tells us, I know this is hard, to use fewer words. I know you came to church on a rainy day, but let me give you an encouraging verse. Too much talking leads to sin. (laughs) How many know too much talking leads to sin? You know, uh, too much talking leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouths shut, the Bible says. Thanks for coming to church. (laughs) I didn't write it. Come on. How many know there are times to keep your mouth shut? You ever had somebody say, Mm-mm-mm. not now, don't do it. Be, <laughs> I just love that. Be sensible. This is Proverbs as is Solomon is an old man talking to a young man. And he just says, hey, there are times to be sensible and shut your mouth, you know. And Proverbs goes on to say, even a foolish person seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Here's a little trick for you. You don't even have to be wise. If you just don't talk too much, everyone will think you are. You just like, like that's a wise person. Like, what does he say? I don't know, but he's deep. <laughs> no, he just quiet, you know. <laughs> and and the Bible says that sometimes we could use fewer words. I think this is a challenge. Every once in a while, my wife will say, "You interrupt people," and I'll say, "Because I have so many good things to say, that's why I interrupt them." And she says, "No, no, no. You you need to learn to be a listener, right? Come on, you need to learn to be a listener. How many know people love to to listen to uh, to talk about themselves, right? 
And so I'm trying to learn the secret of asking questions and listening to others and not talk. I mean, no, this is a skill developed, right? That, in fact, somebody said there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, people who walk into a room and say, I'm here. And then there are people who walk into a room and say, you're here. I want to be the kind of person that says, you're here. <laughs> How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How do you feel? T- tell me about your, I mean, tell me when you want, I mean, l- let's be people that sometimes use. In fact, the Bible says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? Rarely have I thought to myself, I should have been, uh, I've thought to myself many times, I should have been quieter. And I, but I've never thought to myself very often, I should have spoken up a lot more. Because how many know there's wisdom in being quiet, right? Just using fewer words, intentional words, drawing others out. Here's the third one. I hate this one. Come on, I hate this one. I hate this one. Come on, somebody use gentler words. Come on. I remember when my kids were were toddlers, when they would get worked up, I would just say, stop, don't do that. Relax. Have you ever done that? Relax. It's going to be fine. You know? And, and... (laughs) I remember my, my, years ago, my dad was having knee surgery. And um, the, in the pre-op room, the doctor said to my dad, now the surgery will be on your right leg. And my dad said, no, it's my left knee. And the doctor looked at the chart and he said, that's not right. And my dad said, well, I've been the one kind of limping on this leg for years. So, and the doctor said, well, that's not what I have on my chart. And I was thinking to myself, this is a good conversation to have before the surgery. We should iron this out. And so finally he said, okay, you know, I was wrong. The chart's wrong. Well, then my dad got really nervous and he's like, they're going to operate on, on the wrong knee. And we were like, no, they won't. And they were like, well, you won't be here and I'll be passed out if the anesthesiologist is any good. And so literally my mom took a marker and wrote the word no on one of his legs. <laughs> She couldn't get him to relax. But I remember her standing in the, because his blood pressure was going up saying, Ted, relax. And he's like, I can't, they're going to, and finally it took just a marker and two letters, N-O. And I didn't, I didn't want to tell him that if you look at it from the other side, it says on. So, but I, <laughs> I'm just telling you, we need a little bit of gentler words and kinder words and more gracious words and more nourishing words. How many know we need a little bit more of that in our culture, right? And in fact, what's amazing to me is, is what God was doing in Antioch got heard throughout the the whole world and it was creating a stir in Jerusalem. In fact, the Bible says that um, news of this, what, what God was doing in Antioch reached the church in Jerusalem and they were upset with it. And the Antioch church knew that the original church was, was, was frustrated with them and they sent Barnabas. When they knew they were in a hot situation, they sent Barnabas. And I think one of the reasons they didn't send Paul, if you ever read Paul's letter, he's kind of a harsh, uh, he's a hit you right between the, I think they were like, we don't need to send Paul to that one. You know, we need to send somebody like, come on, here, here's the third thing. People are in a battle. Our words either infuse courage or weakness, right? Do you know what the word encourage means? To just put courage into someone. In courage. This is deep preaching. No, but it literally means our words can either put courage inside of someone and lift them up or discourage them. When the church had to decide who they needed to go to Antioch to lift up the people, they sent Barnabas because they knew in his own spirit was someone that could encourage 
other people and could bring life and joy to other people. And I think this is true. I heard H.B. London years ago use a phrase that never, I never forgot. He said, in life, don't be a joy sucker. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what he meant is he, he used this analogy of a, of a leaf blower. He said, imagine you turn the valve the opposite way on a leaf blower and instead of blowing out, it sucks in. He said, he gave this analogy that there are people who just walk around in, in life and they just suck joy out of everyone. They zoop. You look happy. Zoop. You look, oh, you bought a new house. The housing market's going to go down next year. Zoop. Your kid's turning 19. They're going to marry someone you hate. Zoop. You know what I mean? Like, just, you know, zoop. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, just zoop. And, and he literally used that phrase, joy sucker. Haven't we all known a joy sucker in life? Come on. Just somebody, wherever they go, they just, uh, I'm going to tell, mm, ah, zoop, you know. And I'm just telling you, Barnabas wasn't that way. He was somebody who went into a circumstance and he understood this fact that the church was going through something. Do you know that everyone we come in contact with is facing things that that you and I do not know they're facing? And I'm convinced we don't know that because we dress up, put our button-down shirts on and come to church and we think, well, everyone's doing just fine. But I think most people are living private battles of challenge, right? And so sometimes we're all offended. She didn't say hi to me. He didn't be, uh, I mean, they might've had a whole mess of problems that day. It may have nothing to do. We ought to learn to give one another the benefit of the doubt. This is good preaching today. I'm just saying it is. Because we live in a world, I'm telling you, we live in a world that is too offended. You need to raise your offendable meter to be less offended. You need to be less offendable. Why? Because sometimes people are going through a whole thing that I don't even know about. I didn't even understand the, the behind the scenes in their life. A whole world was breaking apart. They're facing a challenge I knew nothing of. And all I could do was determine whether or not I liked the way they treated me that day. I think we need some grace, some grace. In fact, the Proverbs, Solomon said, gracious words are like a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul. Look at this. And those words are healing to the bones, right? He, many people believe uh, Solomon is uh, referring to Jonathan who was in a battle. You can go and read it in the Old Testament. And in the middle of a, of a difficult day-long battle, he's weary and he reaches into a tree and he eats honey and it gives him strength for the battle. And I think he's saying some people are in the middle of a battle running out of strength and what they really need is just your word of encouragement to be like honey touch, touching their lips that would give them the strength to keep, to keep going in the battle. T.S. Eliot, the great missionary, said most people's lives are lived in quiet desperation, right? I mean, I mean, and I just think we need to, I think we may need to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've known them for years. They were never rude to me, but they were today. Well, then maybe they got something going on. <laughs> and, and we ought to be gracious to one another and more encouraging. I'm just saying we live in a world that's so easily offended. I think we need to raise that meter and just be people who give more grace and mercy and kindness and be a house of generosity of spirit to one another. I'm just telling you. And that was Barnabas. He had that spirit. He went to Antioch and the church didn't like the Jerusalem church and the Jerusalem church didn't like them. And let me tell you what the big debate was. In fact, Barnabas is in Acts 15 at what's called the Jerusalem Council. And it was a very serious debate going on. And here was the debate. Um, did 
Jewish, the sign of um, the Jewish faith in the Old Testament of the covenant was circumcision. And so Jesus had come and people were getting saved and the Jewish men were telling the Gentile new believers that in order to be a follower of Jesus, they had to be circumcised. I don't, can I say this at church? I don't know, okay. So this became a church growth problem. Imagine you sign up for growth track and they're like, well, what do you have to do to become a member here? Well, we're gonna explain it to you. You fill out this card and then there's a doctor behind this curtain and it just won't take long. It'll be fine. You'll be good in like three days, okay? So just head back there and we're, how many know you'd, you'd, you'd window that church right down to nobody, you know? So that was the Gentile Christians. The Jewish people were like to the, to the men. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm showing so much restraint right now on things I could say. Uh, but so they're saying like, I, I understand, uh, uh, that you're a new follower of Jesus. Welcome to the faith. Now, as soon as you get circumcised, you can join the church. And then the, the guys were like, that doesn't sound like I, I want to be a part of that thing. And, and, <laughs> and eventually thank, thank the Lord. Uh, um, uh, the, the early church said that, that because of Jesus, we didn't have to fulfill all the details of the law, sacrifice and, 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 and certain meats. And so how many know Jesus has fulfilled the full law? And he said, it's a change of our hearts, right? But I want you to see something. Barnabas came in at a time when one church person was debating another church person about what it really took to get to God. That feels like something that's been happening for as long as time has been. And some people, I'm telling you, some people in the church want to raise the standard for how you can get to Jesus and add a bunch of rules. Listen, once you get to Jesus, he'll change your life. But to give your life to Jesus, you don't have to do anything, right? Somebody said, are you going to try to change me? Uh, A few weeks ago, I said, if I join the chapel, are you going to try to change me? And I said, absolutely we are. But once you meet Jesus, he's going to change your want to's and your life's going to change, right? We're not here to legislate it. We're here to let the Lord do it, right? And, 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 and Barnabas had that. And because, I want you to see this, because of his strategic life lived, the, because of how he navigated this issue, I love this. Come on, somebody, a what? Great number of people believed and were what? Brought to, I want you to catch this this weekend because we can be tempted to think on a subject like encouragement. It's just a little side deal. It's happy, clappy, sappy, pop, lollipop Christianity, Right? I want you to know without an encouraging spirit, Barnabas wouldn't have navigated this problem in the Antioch church and a great number of people wouldn't. I'm telling you, heaven and hell rests on whether or not we as a church and a community, our families, our future, our city, our church rests on whether or not we're gonna be a people who create an atmosphere of encouragement to give the message of Jesus rather than an atmosphere of condemnation, right? I mean, that's just flat out true. And I, I think this is true. You could put it this way. Our, our words, see, see it there? Our words literally influence eternity. Had Barnabas said the right thing the wrong way, he would have lost a group of people. And I believe we can say the right thing the wrong way, and that's the wrong thing. Do you, have you ever said something at the wrong time? I realized this early in marriage. Katie would tell me something, and I would say, that's so easy. I can tell you how to fix that. She'd say, this is how I feel. You know, she'd say, I'm really tired. And I I remember early in our marriage, she said, I'm feeling really tired. And I said, you should take a multivitamin. (laughs) 
And all of a sudden, she was mad at me. So I called my mom, and I said, she's mad at me. I, gave her, I, I, was, I told her to take a multivitamin. I feel like that was a good answer. And so she, <laughs> she, I mean, like, and my mom said, why don't you ask her if she wanted your help or just wanted you to listen? And I said, well, my mom thinks that you didn't want a multivitamin. I think I bought some multivitamins. They have extra iron for depleted strength and you should take it on. And she let me know. How many know sometimes you're just supposed to listen, not talk? Come on. You're, like, I'm not here to be fixed. I'm here to just be empathized with. And, and, and I hate that. But, you know, um, it's one of my least favorite things, you know. Uh, but how many know sometimes it's just a heart of grace, right? A heart of listening. And sometimes you can say the right thing at the wrong time. That's the wrong thing. And, and Barnabas came along and he said the right thing, but he said it in the right way and because of that the church in Antioch grow, grew and I think this is really true words can change people's lives meaning the Antioch church and its future uh, literally hinged on whether or not they could get this issue right and they could figure it out and they could move forward in grace and strength I love what Proverbs says I could have listed so many Proverbs worry weighs a person down how many know we've all got worries right Worry weighs a person down. I love this. But encouraging words, what? Cheer a person up. (laughs) I'm asking myself, when I walk around and speak to my church, speak to my children, speak to the people in the coffee, are my words cheering up or are my words weighing down? I think the world has enough weighing down. Let's be people that cheer up. Now, I'm not talking about compromising our message or not speaking truth. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just saying if we don't clothe our message in grace and kindness and love, it, people can't receive it, right? Meaning we can't walk out to the community and say, You're, the Bible says you are going to hell, sir. And I'm, you can pray with me right now or you can just flat out go to hell. What would you like to do? I mean, that might be true, but how many know that's not effective, right? Hey, can I tell you what God's done in my life? Uh, I messed it all up, but you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what happened to me. And, but the good news is I didn't have to pay for my own sin. Jesus changed my life. Can I tell you about that? And then uh, how many know you can get the same thing with, 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 with sweet than you can with sour, right? And I think, that's what, I think that's what Barnabas did. He brought people together and he built bridges and he created connections. And I believe we need fewer weighing down and more encouraging that lifts people up, okay? I really believe this. Well, you, if you're not taking notes, just write this last quote down. I think it's true. And it, it really comes from the, the longest passage of scripture on the, our words is in James chapter three, verses one to 11. I wish we had time to look at it. James says, if I had to describe the tongue, our words, he says, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I want you to think of that. James is like, if I had to talk about our mouth right now, I would describe it as a copperhead. (laughs) Restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, with it, a small spark, like a forest fire is started by a little spark, burns big. So that's what our words do. And then he gives an analogy. He says, don't you see how a big ship, big ocean liner, is directed by a little rudder? And he says, that's true about our life. Our lives, our big body, is directed by our little mouth. 
I literally think here's what he's saying. Our mouth, like a rudder, like a rudder of a ship drives the direction of that ship. Our words and our mouth drive the direction of our lives. How many know that's true? And so I think this is true. I think this is what James, like a modern day of what James is saying. If you want to change your life, you have to change your words. You'll never change your life if you don't change your words. You'll never change your life if you don't change your words. And Barnabas came along and he was sent by God and he lives this life of encouragement and because of him, the church is established in Antioch. It becomes a mission-sending church, Acts 13 too. It becomes the place where they figure out this circumcision or not circumcision thing that, that transforms the gospel, Acts 15. But it's all because there was one man seasoned with grace, overflowing with kindness. Watch this real quick. I'm not talking about not saying truth. How many know we're a church built on truth? Amen? I'm just saying if we say truth in an unkind way, the truth can't land. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, meaning I have the very words of God, but I do not have love, it's like a clanging gong or a resounding symbol, meaning it's an obnoxious thing, meaning I can take the very truth of what God's done, but if I share it in a brash, angry, judgmental way, instead of making the message of Jesus beautiful as it is, I make it obnoxious to the world around me. How many know that's possible? But Barnabas was seasoned with grace, kindness, and love, and he shared in wisdom. And because of that, a great number of people were in eternity was changed. A church was built. I believe families, life, future, marriages, cities hinge on whether or not we'll be people who share the truth of God with the love of God. I was reading Deuteronomy the other day and it said, your word, O God, came down to us like the mist in the morning. And I thought to myself, think of all the ways God could have showed up in power, right? But it he refers to God's word as gentle and kind, gracious. Jesus described it as man. Jesus said, come to me. He said, I am weary and uh, I'm, uh, I'm um, meek and lowly of heart. Meaning even Jesus came to us in kindness and grace and love. Instead of overpowering us, he, he through his kindness and love secured our hearts and drew us to grace for him. How many are thankful for the kindness of God? The Bible says the kindness of God leads to salvation and repentance. And this is what I think Barnabas knew, that he was going to hold on to the truth of God, keep preaching the love of uh, the truth of God, but he was going to deliver it in a way that was seasoned with grace and seasoned with kindness, seasoned. Man, if I could do anything over again, so when my kids were little, I wouldn't, I just, man, I wouldn't try to, I wouldn't try to raise my voice and get it. Uh, don't you know how smart I am? You know, to a four-year-old. Really, you don't look so smart right now, you know. Oh, to be people who season with grace, season with kindness and generosity and encouragement of spirit. In fact, I was thinking of this. Ephesians 1 tells us that God is a God of grace who encourages us. We're never more like God than when we encourage <laughs> and when we're gracious with one another. Would you buy your heads all over this room? And Scott's edition. In fact... I want you to know this today. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. 
Or maybe you've walked away from him today. I'm, I'm not going to raise my voice to say it. I'm going to say it as kind as I can. God loves you so much, he wants to save you from your sin and yourself. So much that he sent his own son to die for you. And he would love for you to open your life to him today. So nobody looking around, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God, would you just pray for me? Or maybe you walked away from it. You say, Pastor, pray for me today. Would you just raise your hand all over this room and put it right back down? I won't embarrass you, I promise. You're just saying, pray for me, yes. Are there others? Yes. Are there others? Pray for me today. Yes, sir, I see that. Anybody else? Yes, sir, I see that. Thank you so much, proud of you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at, my own relationship with God, or maybe I've walked away from it. One last time, you just say, Pastor, pray for me. Did I miss anybody? You say, pray for me. Scott's addition online. You simply, right where you're seated, say, God, I know um, I've sinned, come up short. I believe you died on a cross and on the third day rose from the dead. So I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. Would you save me today? Would you change me? Would you give me the right to be called a son and daughter of God? Today, I give my life to you. I repent. I turn away from myself. I turn away from my sin and I embrace you as my Savior and Lord for I prayed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. In just a second, we're gonna close, but he looked this way. Hey, a bunch of people took steps of faith. If you will uh, fill out that connect card and either drop it off at next steps or email us, I'd love you to do that. Just say, I made this commitment. We'd love to get uh, an email to you that just gives you some next steps of how you can grow in your faith and uh, become all that God wants you to be. We, we, it's a joy of our life as a church to help people take steps of faith. Come on, chapel, let's say welcome to the family of God. Family, to you, say thank you.